It was going to stop. Stand up, please. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I mean, glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, I have come for the Spirit of Truth. You are everywhere present to fill us all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse us and save our souls, a good one. Holy God, Holy Mary, Holy Mother, have mercy on us. Holy God, Holy Mary, Holy Mother, have mercy on us. Holy God, Holy Mary, Holy Mother, have mercy on us. Glory to the Father and to the Son of Spirit, both now and ever, and to the age of the O Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. Lord, be gracious unto our sins, and master, pardon our iniquities. O Holy One, visit me in our firmness for our sake. Lord, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, the age of ages. Amen. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, unto the ages of ages. Amen. Last week, we started the life of St. Kiprian and Justina. Today, I'm going to try and focus a little bit more on the life of the saint, but at the same time, trying to relate it to our everyday. I don't want you to think that the lives of saints are detached from our everyday life. If you've got that type of opinion or view or feeling about it, then you are missing the whole point of orthodoxy because the Protestants may, for example, have the Bible and some of them really believe in the Bible, which is good to some extent. However, they miss out on the tradition. And the tradition of the church, of the orthodox church, is the writings of the saints and the lives of the saints. Because the lives of the saints is the gospel in practice. So by reading the lives of saints, we understand what is the meaning of the gospel. When you read the gospels just on their own, then you can uh, lose your way, as it's happened in the Protestant world, whereby there's hundreds of different groups. And the reason for that is, is that they've lost the tradition which existed, which exists, sorry, in the church, and they believe that that's not important. Now, the Catholics do believe in tradition, but unfortunately, they went wrong in that they centralised everything in the Pope. And by doing that, as a man, he can make mistakes. Now, does that mean that Orthodox bishops don't make mistakes. Orthodox bishops can make mistakes, do make mistakes, and in the future, God willing, when we do other lives of saints, you'll see some hierarchs who went completely off and even ordered the torturing of people and changed the faith, etc. But in the case of the Pope, he can speak on behalf of the church and he can make decisions and the whole church is bound to listen. While in the Orthodox Church, even if some hierarch or 
bishop or someone does preach something wrong or does in his brain imagine something which is wrong, in the Orthodox Church, he does not have the authority to change the teachings of the church unless it is done what we call through synod and when it's something universal that has to be done by an ecumenical council such that the whole church can accept it. And because of that, the Orthodox Church is safer than these other groups. The Protestants don't even believe in tradition and they don't believe in councils and all those type of things. Uh, while the Catholics, as I said, they centralise everything with the Pope. And they have like what's called Pope infallibility, that when the Pope sits on his throne and he speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks through him. We don't have that in the Orthodox Church. We believe that when the bishops get together in synod, that the Holy Spirit can speak. But sometimes, of course, there's been false synods. But where it's the safest, where it's something which is going to change, or not change, but add or clarify some teaching of the church, it has to be done where the whole church agrees. And if the whole church doesn't agree, then we're not bound. So, for example, if the Patriarch of um, Alexandria, the Patriarch of Constantinople or whatever, make some type of statements and say, for now on, we will believe that the... Roman Catholic Church, they are sister churches, we can go to their churches, etc. This we're not bound to listen to because such a decision can only be made through an ecumenical council, the whole church. So that's very important. With the life of um, St. Cyprian, some of you may find as I read some parts of it, that it is quite unbelievable. Some might think it's just far-fetched. It sounds too much like a fantasy. And yet, last week, those who were here uh, heard me read accounts of magic that is occurring, for example, in Africa or in Greece and here etc. So as I promised you last week, or last month, I actually ordered these books for you from overseas and we got, and they came in on time, I don't know how to and uh, anyway, at the end I'll be giving out this book here, Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult, goes through a lot of those examples which I went through last week and it is closer to us than what we think. The more the church, people fall away from the church, the more people go to these satanic things. The closer one is to the church, the less chance they are of going to these places. But not only that, they are protected, the closer they are to the church, from these influences. And sometimes these pe people can do something to us. And as we read in the, um, as you'll see in that book, but also in general, the church teaches the closer one is to the church, the more they are protected from these satanic, uh, the, the satanic activities which are occurring now, today. There's a great apostasy in the world. The world is falling more and more away from Christ. When Christ came into the world, Slowly, slowly, a lot of these practices went out, of pra went out of fashion, one can say. People just weren't interested 
in those things anymore. The church was strong and they were teaching that these are satanic, that anyone that goes to them cannot be saved unless they repent, etc. Now, people are going back to it again. And as St. John Chrysostom says, that when the monasteries are filled, then the hospitals, the psychiatric, uh, the, the mental institutions, uh, which in those cases they didn't have them, but they used to lock them up in dungeons, and the jails are empty. So if the church's monasticism is strong, then through the prayers of especially the monastics, then these influences become less and less and less effective. But as people, as we can see, there is some rebirth of monasticism, but not that much. And as a result of that, the churches are quite empty, the monasteries are quite empty, and the hospitals, the psychiatric hospitals, suicide, the jails are packed. St. John Chrysostom says that, I'll say it again, when the monasteries are full, because the, what shows that the church is healthy? What is the characteristic of the church which shows that she's healthy, that the church is healthy? And the main thing is the strength of her monasticism. And that's why St. John Chrysostom says, where there's a city, where there's, a, where there's monasteries or a monastery, and they, those monks or nuns are praying, that is, that is where the jails will be more empty, the, prison, the um, hospitals will be more empty. That's the sign of a healthy church. And to today, as we have said, that there is a decline in orthodoxy, even though there's a more of an interest, the most important thing is the monasticism. That's why in America, for example, in the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America, they do their services in English, they have English books, they have uh, preachers in English, it wasn't enough. What really made a difference in America is when the elder Ephraim from Mount Athos, some of you know because these books exist, when he from Mount Athos, I think in the early 1980s, went to America, I think in Canada, and started cultivating the spiritual life from his monastic experience, because he was the spiritual child of Elder Joseph, so from his monastic experience, he changed the face of America's orthodoxy. And he established, if I remember right, I think 18 monasteries all over America, I think in Canada, 18 monasteries. Now, I would say that that is a healthy sign. That means that they are blessed, etc. Now, in Australia, uh, we don't have many. I mean, thanks God that we even had the, the nuns' monastery at Kentland, up near Campbelltown, which was there, I think, from the 50s or 60s. Uh, and whether people want to believe it or not, how many disasters, how many tragedies were averted, were we were spared from in this city from just having that monastery? Slowly, slowly, there's a few more springing up. The more monasteries we have in Australia, the healthier the church is. 
just parishes or just parish priests is not enough to bring a renewal of orthodoxy, to bring the true spirituality in the church. And what's even healthier, when the church is being persecuted through the blood of the martyrs, the church becomes stronger. Sometimes monasticism can go off a bit. They can get a bit slack. They can start maybe losing their way a bit. And what happens there is that God allows persecutions. So, for example, in Russia, when the Russian Revolution came, when the communists came to Russia, that was from God's providence because even though Russia was called Holy Russia, and there was monasteries, a lot of monasteries everywhere, true orthodox spirituality was pretty much non-existent. There was Optina, maybe Serov, where Saint Seraphim was, and some isolated monasteries around the place which were cultivating people in true orthodoxy. But the rest of the country had gone quite off, worldly, etc. The same thing in other countries. I'm just saying examples, Russia, because some of you understand it better. And God allowed communism to come there and after 70, 80 years of persecutions, the Orthodox Church there has come out far healthier than what it was before the revolution. So, the same in our life as individuals. When our life is going okay, sorry, two, two, two things. When we are close to the mon monasteries, not just reading books, but close to the monasteries, going to monasteries, uh, seeking help from spiritual fathers in monasteries, even if you have to write overseas, it doesn't matter, then that is a very good sign for us as individuals. But apart from that, what's the cherry on the one, well, I can say on the cake, is when we go through afflictions. Does that mean that we have to have communism come to Australia? That might happen, may not happen. We might be attacked, we may not be attacked. I don't know, I'm not a prophet. But what is that God does is that he sends us all trials, sufferings, whether it is in the loss of someone, whether it is cancer, whether it is some tragedy, some disaster, um, a cyclone in some places, as you've noticed, floods, fire, loss of job. It could be a lot of things. Uh, being accused of something which you didn't even do. Being put in jail for something that you didn't do. Going through the hardship of losing a child or divorce. So there's so many things that can happen to us, which is quite pain painful. And yet, this can be used, it's, it's obviously horrible, but this can be used to give us spiritual health. This can make us healthier, spiritually. Remember the example, some of you don't know, about the woman who was crying one day, um, a holy father was walking along the street, and he came across a woman who was crying, 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 and she, um, 
And he said to her, what's wrong? He thought something tragic had happened to her to be crying that much. She was really crying from the depths of her soul. And he goes, what's wrong that, you know, that you're crying so much? And she said, God has abandoned me. He goes, how do you know that? He goes, because for so many years now, everything's going good. My children are good. They're, they're well. Not even a chicken has died. Even to that extent. Not even any of my chickens have died. No sicknesses of my, of my livestock or whatever she had. In other words, Orthodox Christians believe that when things are going too good, it means that something's not good. And when something's not going good, it means that God has thinking about the person. And this is alien to Western society's mentality. The mentality in, in, in the West is that God is, um, uh, loves you when everything's going well. When you've got a good job, when your children are going well, everything's going well, that is the sign of blessedness. However, that's not the case. Who God loveth, he chasteneth, as it says there that in the um, New Testament. If God loves someone, then he sends afflictions and sufferings. And this is a sign, says one of the apostles, I can't remember who, that we are children of God. It doesn't mean that we go out to look for these things. We pray, we still ask God to protect our families, we still God, ask God to bless our jobs, we still ask God to pray as we read it in the church, in peace let us pray to the Lord and you know, for the salvation of our souls, all the blessings for mercy, life, peace, health, salvation, visitation, pardon, remission of sins, everything it's, we have there for seasonable weather, for them that travel by sea, land and air, for the sick, for the afflicted, for captives. So the church continually prays. That's our duty. We don't throw ourselves into temptations because we want to be afflicted. So what's the secret? When we are afflicted, then we start using our faith, our hope in God, we start to pray more, we begin to trust in God, etc. That is what. Now even Christ himself did not throw himself into temptation. If you remember, he avoided even going into cities or places where he knew that they didn't want him, that he could be um, stoned, etc. Even as God, he could protect himself, but he showed us the example. Don't, as I said in the prayer today, and lead us not into temptation. We don't provoke God. Don't pray and say, um, God, send trials on my house. God, send me sicknesses. Uh, send me a disease or send me this. Or you don't do that. That is really aggravating. We're provoking there. Because when that comes, we might not be able to take it. We must always pray to be, not to be fall into temptation, not to suffer, etc. But when it comes, we endure. So let's now go on with the life of St. Cyprian. We said last week, I don't know, is, was, was there anyone, was there, is anyone here that wasn't here last week? Just a few, good. Okay, so St. Cyprian lived in around the third century. He was born from pagan parents. And at around uh, 
seven years old, which I made a note of that last, last month, that even the pagans know when to start educating their children even for evil, even though they're educating, they sent him to sorcerers at seven years old, but we send our kids to school at four, three, and we promote education in them at a very early age. But as I said, even the pagans, even when we read the lives of saints in Russia and Greece, you know, formal education sometimes didn't start to eight, nine, depending on the child's interest. You don't start educating children at a very young age, like you see on the TV now, where children at five are doing piano and judo and ballet and sewing and computer and maths and science. What's the, why is that? Is that just to tickle the parents' ego that their child is intelligent? And you know where people get confused with that is that in the beginning, a child is very powerful. His mind develops very quickly and God has allowed that to happen so they can learn language, etc. So what happens is a child absorbs really quickly and people become confused and parents go, oh, my child is so smart and my child is really, really intelligent and in one or two weeks he's learnt so much. But then what happens then is that the child begins as it gets older, especially when it gets around maybe four or five, they begin to take their, their uh, let's just say, the acceleration of their learning decreases. They don't learn as much. The parents become quite alarmed that their Einstein or whatever they believe their children are is something wrong. And of course there are exceptional cases where there are some children that are intelligent, really young and this and that, but we don't have to uh, um, think that all children are like that. And all because a child is more intelligent than another doesn't mean that he's superior because what's superior is a child who has moral background. A lot of people are, a lot of children now have learnt things, but it doesn't mean anything if they're going to jump off the cliff because they've got nothing in them, because they're empty, because emotionally they are dead, and you hear things like, I can't feel, so they've got to take drugs and alcohol, because a lot of times that's all it is. They've got so much pain in them, they're so confused, they might know. A lot of maths and science and English, even I, I believe in general the school system's failed and most of them can't even read and write, but let's just say they, as an argument not to upset the Department of Education, that most um, uh, children learn, but they hide the fact that there's a literacy, the literacy in schools is so low, so what they do is they give easy tests to hide the fact. Apart from some of the top classes, you go lower than that and some of them cannot even read or write. Some of them don't even know simple arithmetic and this is kids that um, are coming out of the, uh, the school system. But anyway, what's the point? If, even if they can, if, even if they can, if, if they know so much and knowledge, what's the point when spiritually they are dead? And it's so uh, sad and painful when you hear cases of these parents that just continually were speaking and my child got such and such in the HSC and my child goes to university and my child's getting 
you know, 90,000, 100,000 a year. That's all they talk about a lot of times. My child's a doctor, my child's this, and my child's that. And then you might see them a few weeks later. How's your child? Uh, he's in a mental institution, or he's just had a divorce, or he's, um, he's um, at Botany or some other cemetery. And this is because the parents had as their God was money, education, etc. So do not do that to your children. Children at that age, they may learn quick, but after they begin to decrease in learning, and when you're on them because you want to get back that glory that, that you once had, oh, he was learning so much before, we can do it. Let's go to uh, tutoring and let's bring teachers home and let's do this and let's do that. Let's show them videos. Let's put them on computers to do these programs and things like that. And at the end you get poor, sick, unfortunate, abused, because that's what it is, abused, children. Now, I want to do a topic on that another time. Some of you may not agree, which is, um, that's okay, but I welcome questions later on from anyone who would, who would like. So, So St. Kiprian, at seven years old, went to all these schools of sorcery and his parents really made sure he got a good education in that satanic practices. St. Kiprian himself, before, obviously before he converted, he actually says, believe me, I have seen the Prince of Darkness himself, for I am gratified him by my sacrifices. So a lot of satanic Satan worshippers actually do see demons when they are doing their rituals. I greeted him and spoke with him, as, um, and he liked me. Now, that's a good one there. But unfortunately, one has to remember this. The devil doesn't like anyone. He can appear to be your friend, but he hates you with such hate that one cannot even, I think, can't even put it down on paper. The devil appears to like you. He appears to be your friend. He appears to give you everything good. But what he's doing is he's using the person to spread more evil and to take his soul at the end. That's his aim. There's no such thing as that. And a lot of people become confused and go, oh, the devil helps me, as you'll see later on, in my everyday life. This is important because this explains a lot of uh, reasons for a lot of children now and people are actually joining these type of groups and getting involved. And, and St. Kiprian said, and he promised to make me a prince after my departure from the body and for the course of earthly life to help me in everything. That's really, really important. Extremely important. One, that the devil supposedly promised to help him, and in a lot of ways he does, in his earthly life. And a lot of people who visit these places, they also are promised in a way the same thing you go this way and you will get what you want but the other important thing which is why a lot of people do suicides or those massacres in schools with guns and things like that is that they a lot of them are, have entered into this satanic type of uh, worship they believe that they will become immortal in their next life and it is because of that that they've got the guts, one can say, if I can use that word, to do what they're going to do. They actually are deceived and they believe that they're going to 
uh, firstly, like that fellow in the America, in, the, uh, in that tech, the Virginia Tech massacre, uh, that, 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 that fellow, he was a nobody. Um, of course, we become someone when we have Christ in our, in our life, but in worldly sense, he was a no one. He felt that he was a no one. Uh, he had social problems, etc. And he wanted to do this act of violence where he went in and went and massacred all those poor people so he can be remembered later on. And he also believed that he will be in some type of kingdom. And he's correct to some extent. He will be in a kingdom, but not necessarily a good kingdom. And the other people who, who I'm talking about, they say, I'm going to live forever. Yes, you do live forever. But in hell, there's a difference between living forever. Everyone lives forever. Everyone's soul is immortal. But there's a difference between living forever in paradise and living forever in hell. These people somehow believe that they're going to be are told they're going to be given glory and they're going to be recognized and everyone's going to look up to them, etc. This is these poor kids in some ways, even though they chose to be evil later on when they did what they did. I mean, mental, mentally disturbed people can't plan things like these people do. These people a lot of times uh, choose to be evil. I forgot what I was going to say, actually. Anyway, uh, does anyone know what I was saying? I was saying that... Um, ah, these people, yeah, very important. These people, I think, would have a very bad background. They weren't nurtured. A lot of them weren't nurtured properly from young. And this is another important thing today that I would like to say to you people as Orthodox Christians, it's the, the importance of nurturing. As women are being bombarded, as I've said before, with this negativity towards child rearing, childbirth, and what's looked up as his careers and being equal to men. And some of them have gone as far as going above, because they think they're above, because they always put put men down. So there's the ones that they put the men down because they said that the women that, that they weren't given equality. But now what they hated in men, because some men w did put women down, obviously, they've now gone above and they've become like what they hated. So where they hated these men for being horrible to women, they have now gone above them and they are horrible towards men and speak. All you've got to do is to uh, watch um, a, um, a day show where women sit around and talk and you can see the negativity that they have towards men. Not necessarily, that doesn't mean that men don't do it. I'm just saying what they, what they supposedly were fighting for to become equal to men, but they've gone above. Those women are bombarded continually, and so are orthodox women. Such negativity towards the bringing up of children. And this all came from the feminism and all these type of things. However, what's happened now is that last on the list of a lot of women is children. What a bore. 
What a bore to bring up children. And why would I want to stay home and bring up children? And yuck and horrible. And this is not, this is unbecoming for me as a woman of the 21st century. The most important, the most holy thing which can exist for a woman in the sense of the childbearing aspect and especially in the first years because the woman is the most important up to a certain age then the man starts becoming more involved. Not that he's not involved but the woman is where the child wants. The child wants the mother. Those women are given such a beautiful, such a thing and, but yet no, we've got to go to university. Does that mean it's bad? I'm not saying it's bad, but when it becomes top priority, then it's bad. And, uh, and we should only have one or two, but yet the Muslims are having a lot. So we can say that their religion is um, not what we believe is true. We don't believe in what they believe. They are monotheistic. They believe in one God. That's good in some ways, but... They don't believe in Christ as being God incarnate, that God became man through Christ. They don't believe in that. And it's like, it doesn't, there's no consolation to say, we believe that Christ is a prophet, which obviously they did that because they helped some convert Christians. But the Muslims, they have one thing. They actually have children. And more than the Orthodox. And I, and I would have to say, I don't know what you think, but that's quite embarrassing. Remember, Christ himself in the Gospels would praise practices among the pagans of his time, like the Samaritan woman, and you know, I've never seen such great faith, he would say, in Israel. He was actually putting down the Jews to say, you are supposed to be the chosen of God, the children of God, but yet the pagans who you put down are better than you. So if Christ did it, then we can also say, look at that example, or look at that example. And it's just strange that you see these Muslim women with seven, eight, nine children, but yet they still look 20, but yet you see Orthodox um, people who look a bit dried up. So I don't think the Muslims are into the Botox, but I'm sure there's big lines of orthodox people who would run to those places to make sure they can try and get their youth back. But what's the thing? People say, oh, but you have a lot of children, you get old and haggard. But do we? Is that what happens? Children need nurturing. People say, I... I don't understand, my child doesn't talk to me anymore. I can't communicate. I was always there for, for them, him or her or whatever. And I would like to say this, were, were we always there for the children? A lot of times the children needed their mothers from when they were even just born where the child's crying, obviously the child wants something. If the mother's too busy or takes the child to a... Um, I'm, I'm not meaning to offend people, but I have to say it because if some people will walk out or some people are going to get upset, I'm sorry about that, but you know my job here is to stop the 
these uh, bad practices. A child needs the mother, and when I've when I've dealt with people that have had children, quite a few of them, and I see that the child is very demanding. The child cries a lot. When you leave the child to cry continually, when you don't fulfil its needs, that child learns to lock up. That child, when he grows up, is not going to open up. And this is where a lot of the mental problems start to occur. It starts from the beginning. Even to miss a meal for a child, or if the child's overheating, or if the child has soiled their nappy and they're crying because they're being, it burns them or something like that. They are asking, you know, for help. And when the parents are too busy watching TV or taking their children to um, those places, what are they called? Mental block. Uh, daycares. The child's not going to get... It's impossible for a daycare to give the need of, the, of a child of that age. As I said, I've dealt with women and it is a full-time job. And a very difficult job, but very rewarding. And a mother who takes care of her child for the first, you know, especially the first five, six years of their life, gives, gives them love, nurtures them, plays with them, speaks to them, hugs them, kisses them, etc. Those children will be very difficult to turn out to be social, to have social and emotional problems. See, some people say, oh, I don't like being touched, or I can't love, or I can't do this, I can't do that. A lot of it stems from that. So the pagans' example here, even though it's such a horrible, <laughs> to say, oh, what an example, but still, the, the, the parents of St. Cyprian, who were pagans, sent their child at seven years old to the schools of sorcery at that time. Now, that is interesting. And as I said last week, last month, the Optina elders, three of them became holy saints, and their father said, I'm not going to send my children to school because he believed even in Russia in those days. We're talking about 200 years ago. Imagine if he lived in these times. But he said, in those times, I'm not going to send my child children to school. I'm going to educate them myself. And he started to educate them at around, I think, if I remember right, nine, ten years old. What does a child have to learn to write at four? What does a child have to learn to read? Is he going to go and catch a bus by himself? Is he going to go out into the world and go to Myers and, and get some bargains at three years old that has to learn how to read and write? Is he going to write a thesis? I don't understand why it's so important. Why can't the child just be there and be, and be uh, taken care of and be loved and let him play and talk to the child, etc.? That's what children do. Saint Demetrius of Rostov, a great saint, like they say, like the Russian Saint John Chrysostom is Saint Demetrius of Rostov. What, how old was he when he started to learn to read? I think around 10. In Greece, when did they used to go to schools in the old days? Seven, eight. In Russia, the same thing. But now, we don't do that now. They have to learn everything at a very young age. And these, and you will see in the future, and it won't take long, even though they're starting to say it now, in these current affairs and all that type of thing, they're starting to say, some people are trying to speak up, and they're saying, this is child abuse. And as time goes on, but let's hope it doesn't happen to our children, as time goes on, maybe 10 years or 15 years, it will be exposed 
that this practice of early education to children, that type of education, is really different. You don't put, I've seen documentaries where they put children six months old in front of the TV with educational videos of speaking, of how to speak. And they've got these children sitting in front of the TV. When I see that, I actually get an anxiety attack because I know from experience as well, when you confess people and you go into the depths of their soul, you, it's, it's actually can be seen that a lot of people today that, I, that I've actually experienced with are so insensitive. They can't even feel God's presence. They can't love. They can't feel. And a lot of the reason is, is because they're either traumatized, abused in those things, but also that type of thing is also a form of abuse. It's not just hitting children, which is abusive, but that type of thing is abusive. Those children, there's one person in here who used to tutor, a teacher, used to tutor at those James Ann colleges, where a lot of people, especially Asians, send their children. And these children go so many times a week there. They go to school all day, then in the afternoon, 4.30, they go to James Ann's for three hours and are learning all these things. And then when it's school holidays, one would think they're going to have a rest. No, they go and do other courses, crash courses and other things. And this lady who, who, who taught there, she told me, she goes, there was a young fellow there, like a young boy, maybe a Korean boy, I think it was, who was um, flaked out on the table, who was half asleep, sleeping a lot of times, and he was only... I think five or six years old. And his parents were making that child go there to learn. And the child was saying, when can I sleep? That's all he wanted. That's child abuse. And be careful that we are not guilty of that. Children's education begins with morals, with spiritual things, with manners, with love, receiving love giving love, expressing themselves. This is where education begins. But now, parents don't even speak about those things. That's not important for parents now. The most important thing is to learn to read, to write, what university, what school, what private school, etc., etc. These are HSCs and all that type of things. This is what's important for a lot of parents. And this is no... This is unacceptable for orthodox parents who are in the orthodox church to go along those lines. This is what St. John Chrysostom says, which I'll give you out one day, that pamphlet, where St. John Chrysostom says he, he actually was against, really against, parents who focused their children's education on those type of things and not on their moral and spiritual lives. So... St. Cyprian says, I gave myself over entirely into the service of uh, Satan at that time, obeying his every command. That, that's important. Uh, obedience. The devil expects obedience. Cyprian attained to an immeasurable depth of wickedness and pride. Behind Satanism, behind all these type of things, is evil. The more evil you do, the more you become closer with him. And it's all to do with pride. 
power. Living in Antioch, he turned many people from, to every kind of lawless deed. What does that mean by that? That this man, who was in the service of the demons, was able to turn people to every kind of lawless deed. In other words, he was able to make people do sins. He committed every kind of depravity in order to appease the demons. What does that mean? That Saint Cyprian, as a sorcerer, as a person that was an evil person, possessed person at the time, he actually would appease the demons, wants to make them happy so they can give him more power, and he had to do what was important, sins, especially ones which you'll see in soon. Oh, here it comes now. So, so that they would help him in his hideous deeds. And some of those things was he slaughtered and strangled many, especially infants, in order to offer their blood to the false gods. Now, he made many people poor, caused married couples to separate, sowed hatred and discord, brought about wars, caused adultery and sodomy, deflowered virgins, and others he killed with poisons and magic. Now, this is basically just that, is the essence of what magic is all about. That pretty much is a good summary. And as I said to you last month, and those who took the pamphlet, that where these practices are done, which is a lot in, as I said, in Africa, among the Africans there, they're really into that stuff. And they do do those sacrifices of humans and things like that. And, but not only that, I saw a video which um, took me years and years to get it out of my system and I don't want to watch it again because it made me sick of a whole exposure of Satanism in Greece and uh, someone went there that was like an undercover person or some that were with them but later on that they left and it describes the orgies uh, they practice that a lot because that appeases them see what's most vile to God is what is pleasing to the demons. And that was a big exposure there where they would go into abandoned places and in the night, etc., etc., and practice these type of things. They also found a lot of dolls um, that had um, pins and ties and things and all these type of things where they used to do those type of things. This is happening in Orthodox Greece. That's interesting, in Orthodox Greece. And it, it disturbed the people of Athens and in Greece so much, they didn't even know how to cope. They tried to go into denial and say, no, no, this, is, this, this can't be. This can't be happening in Athens or in other parts of Greece, these practices. But it is happening, and it's happening here too. The, part, the, the other thing was that he made people poor, so when people want to do evil to someone, they go to these places and they say, make that person lose their job, make them do this, make them do that. Uh, cause married couples to separate. That is a common thing. Uh, so hatred and discord where people just begin to hate each other for no reason. Bring about wars, cause adultery. We all know what that is. And sodomy between homosexuals. It can also be between a man and a woman. And actually the church forbids that 
more, believe it or not, as I said in that time, and actually for, uh, and it, it worse when a husband do, does, that, does that with his wife, where they actually are penanced in the, you know, if you look at it strictly, seven, eight years without communion, while the others would be penanced maybe three or four years. So why is that? Well, it's very simple. Why would someone do that? When, when things can be normal. But yet, that's not understood. It's all over the TV. It's all over the media that these practices are good. There's nothing wrong with them. And Orthodox Christians, unfortunately, in ignorance, a lot of times it's because they don't read, they don't know much what's going on, which can be their fault as well. Um, churches don't speak up much. People are practicing these horrible things and um, losing their souls, unless, of course, one repents. So I'll emphasize that again, because as I've said, in the past, people yap and go on about and say, oh, the gays this and the gays that. But you see, yes, that's true. And that is really, really bad. Go, oh, and God destroyed them and threw down fire at Sodom and Gomorrah. And they say, yes, that's true. However, it didn't just mean between or the, the, the same sex. It also meant the opposite. And actually, it's worse when it's the opposite. And it's actually worse when it's a married couple. So be aware of that. I mean, I can't speak in detail, and I don't think necessarily think you will understand. Um, and he deflowered virgins, so he made virgins to lose their virginity because that's really uh, uh, that really makes the demons happy. Uh, that is really looked at as being bad. You go to a school, and you know, if you're still a virgin, that means that there's something wrong with you. And this is what our children are being uh, exposed to in their magazines, in their TV, in courses at school, all these things, they're being bombarded and children are becoming confused, even though I would say that I was quite surprised that there's some group or movement of young people who actually are saying that the way to eliminate AIDS and the way to, uh, the right way to do it, these are people, not, they're not necessarily Christians, which I was quite surprised, there's some movement, I think they're in America and other places, where they actually promise to keep themselves pure in the sexual sins until they get married. And these are not even people who are Orthodox Christians. And another person here that gave me an article whereby some doctors are starting to see, even though we, the Orthodox Church, always known, that people who actually indulge in sexual activity at a young age become... Uh, distorted, mangulated type of people and they lose a lot of their youthfulness and they're not healthy and that the ones who preserve themselves it's better and one can say and if someone's in the church it makes even more sense because it's a commandment of God stop there for a minute you've got a question Yep. Yeah. 
It's in the New, it's in the New Testament. St. Paul mentions it. It's in Revelations. It says, um, adulterers, sodomites, da, 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 will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, when a person wants to believe something, he'll believe it. So whatever, whatever you say, that's what he's got. They, they have to justify themselves. And they even go as far as even trying to make out that that sin is, you know, was among saints and things like that, 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 that the love between saints Peter and Paul were, you know, going towards those type of things. And this is all the way that they're in their brains, they try to justify their own sin. It's called excuses in sin. I don't indulge in conversations with them unless I say it once. Maybe twice I say, oh, that, 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 and then if they keep on going, you leave it. Isn't that what St. Paul says? A person who's distorting their views and they're, they're heretic, whatever, after the first and second admonishment, when you've told them once or twice, they're not going to listen, they're not going to listen. I would not go and try and prove that because you can make them hostile. They might do something to you, yes? Yes? Why do you have to? To them. Why do you have to explain it to them? Why? If they're coming to ask out of true sincerity, oh, well, that's different. Tell them it's, it's in the Bible and it's there. And didn't Christ also say um, the same, um, that even worse will happen to those as what happened to those in Sodom and Gomorrah? So he actually makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, Christ, when he says to, to the Pharisees and all that, worse will happen to you than what happened to them. Well, why did it happen to them in the first place? Because they did those things. And plus we have the canons of the church. We even have the lives of saints. It says it here. And you're going to see something soon about that. Any other questions? Uh, he instructed many in his ruinous sorcery, came, as some he, he taught to fly in the air, others to sail in boats on the clouds, still others to walk on water. So, in Greece, it's, I think it's northern Greece in a certain um, village up there, on the, I think it's on the feast day of Saints Constantine, I'm not sure, they hold icons, they walk on coal. And that's, a, that's a, a, a thing. They actually walk on coal, jump up and down, Orthodox Christians, and then they come off the coals and check their feet and there's nothing wrong with them. So not all miracles necessarily means, even if someone walks on water or someone flies in the air, these are the things that tradition tells us that the Antichrist will do. He will do these spectacular things. And that's why... When we as Orthodox Christians are obsessed with miracles, with supernatural things, we are, can easily be led astray, and that's why the Holy Fathers say, in the last, towards the last days, whatever that is, but let's just say it's pretty bad now, many will be led astray, even the elect, even those Christians who are practicing their Orthodox faith, could, will be led astray. 
we have to be well grounded in our orthodox faith. And our orthodox faith says we do not believe every miracle or because it's amazing. The Antichrist, who by the way will be gay, as according to the Holy Fathers, um, and a very handsome person, very gifted person, and he will be gay. And, um, and he, they, they will say that he'll be born of, the, um, of a virgin, etc., trying to mimic the, exactly what happened with Christ. That, uh, he will perform, as it says in the Holy Fathers and the traditions, things, spectacular things, especially things in the air. Now, remember those Catholic miracles which occurred in Spain, if I remember right, Portugal, I can't remember, Lourdes, where you know the sun appeared as if it was falling to the the um, earth, and all these phenomena which happened in the air, these things, which also happened in India, by those miracle workers and stuff like that, which if you read Father Seraphim Rose's book on Orthodoxy Region the Future, which I will go, I want to do a talk on that one day. Uh, God willing, that that's important. But they also do all these spectacular things and people think oh if it's a if it's that it must be from God but if we read the Orthodox lives of Saints if we actually see we know that not everything which appears spectacular even if it's a healing even if someone rises from the dead it doesn't necessarily mean it is of God and this is important but people don't understand that and they actually believe that every single thing that happens is of God. Father Seraphim actually uh, explains that. He says that a lot of um, Protestants went to these countries, missionaries, and they were um, using Christ's name and you know the people there who were listening to them heard coming from the sky singing voices and a lot of miracles were uh, occurring it's very difficult to explain to someone what I just said to you and it's taken me a while to even build up to it I have to use lives of science and you know and you people have been coming a bit often well, I can actually even get to the stage where I can say, hey, let's question not everything's from that. When a person is not being exposed to orthodox tradition, to the teachings of the church, it is really hard to explain to them unless they've got a good disposition. I remember a, a young fellow who could do certain powers. He had powers of some type of description and used to put his hand on someone. They had a arthritis, put his hand there, and the person used to go, oh, I feel better, and things like that. And um, a lot of times he knew what people were thinking and things like that. So he wasn't, sh obviously he had a good disposition because he said, oh, uh, I'm going to ask someone. So he went to a Catholic priest, and uh, he said to the priest, this, 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 and the priest goes, oh, that can be from the devil. And the person said, but can the devil do good? He goes, of course he can. Of course he can do good. This person who was being, uh, had these powers, obviously it feels good, he's, going, he's doing all these things, people are going, oh wow. And then this person walked off really disturbed that 
about that. See, the, the priest said one thing to him, even if it was a Catholic. All he said was that. That can be from the devil. He didn't say, it is from the devil. He said, it can be from the devil. And he walked off, and from that time on, he began to have doubt, and then from that led him to orthodoxy to embrace it better and, and um, read things more. And then he found out that he felt that that was demonic. So when you're speaking to these people, sometimes it's hard, what I personally do, but each person's different, is I might say a few words, I go, oh, if they're religious, you say, um, what does it mean in the Bible where it says, test the spirits to see if they're of God, and that even, even Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. So that means that the devil can appear to be good, person thinks it's holy as an angel, you go, oh, there's an angel. This is from God, but behind that is the demons. So it's in there. To me, once or twice you say a few of those things. If the person's got a good disposition, he'll grab on. And even just put a bit of doubt. Don't go into arguments, because just the fact that you told him, he might one month, two months, three months later remember what you said. When you attack and have a fight, a lot of times that person will just dig his heels in and say, this is from God. And he's like, You put a little bit of doubt in them. And I think that's the better way of doing it. And you can say... If they're interested, you can give them a book and things like that. But don't enter too much because um, it's very difficult unless the person's soul's opening up. If you feel that, yes? Say that person that might have a bit of healing power heals the person, okay? Regardless of whether it comes from evil or God, that person that's just been healed, wouldn't he think, uh, wouldn't his faith increase? And then Firstly, I'd like to say that I like the question. The demons are stupid. A lot of times they do what they do blindly. Just, they're just blind. They just throw out whatever they can do, try to make people to change. There is, it is true that some people could have been supposedly healed by some time that was more demonic, and those people could have started to go to church. That's through God's providence. And God can use all circumstances. I mean, I know people that came to orthodoxy after being Buddhists or being, you know, or could have been um, other satanic things or, you know, people that thought that drugs was a, a way of experience, of experiencing spiritual enlightenment and things like that. Uh, they were interested in religion. Their souls were, were craving for that. And through that mud, people can come out of it. Now, the question is, why would the demons... Uh, that you just said, why would the demons allow that to that? They don't know. They just hope that that person who was healed, supposedly by that person, that that person that was healed will then go somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. You kind of become hooked like heroin. So you, got, you go to that, say, say okay, and then when something else happens, like you get a headache, and then you go to, you know, the... Um, the local guru, or you go down to the city and get the Hare Krishnas to bless you with some of their um, 
flowers and whatever else they've got down there. And then your people go there and there and there. Most people do go towards Eastern religions because they've got an obsession with those type of miracles and those type of phenomena, feelings, etc. But if the person's got a good disposition, like Father Seraphim Rose, for example, he went through so much and he experimented in so much. Uh, but he got involved with Zens and I think all this Buddhism and all that type of stuff. And yet he came to orthodoxy because his soul had a good disposition. So yes, some people can be tricked, some people can go the wrong way, but if their soul is good, if their soul has a seeking for the truth, like that guy that went to the Catholic priest, his soul obviously had something good because he went away and was baffled. So um, God's ways are very are immeasurable. We don't know how God works. But the demons sometimes become blind tools of God where God allows, allows someone, for whatever reason, it could be because of their sins or because... He, he wishes that. Allows a person to become possessed. That possessed person now can go to places to try and get better. A lot of them end up in the church because it's the only place they feel relief. They may not necessarily ever get better. Some of them do, some of them don't. But the ones that don't, and they can die in that state of being actually with demons within them, they are very pious people. I went to Greece, I went to Jerusalem once, as I said, with a woman, and she was possessed. And um, every time you go to a holy tomb or something like that, to a saint's relics or things like that, she'd just go berserk. And, you know, when she wasn't in that state, she says to she said to, uh, to people I, I overheard, or can't remember exactly, but she said that, um, oh, you know, you, they become like bored, like, like a board. They just smash their heads on the, um, on the cement. And um, later on, when they come out of it, there's not even any um, marks on them. So this person says, you know, you might look at me and feel sorry for me that I am suffering, which I am. But, you know, but through this suffering, I've come to know Christ. I've come to the church. And, and, um, and she had a lot of faith even in that, in that state. Mary Magdalene, for example, who they say was possessed in the tradition of the church, also came to Christ. Many demon-possessed came to Christ. Some got better, some didn't. It doesn't mean that because they, that they abs you know, it's like this thing comes on them, it's beyond their control, but when they come out of it, they're repentant and they lead spiritual lives. So see, the demons were happy to go in thinking, oh, we've got someone, but not knowing, because they're stupid, that that person actually is now going to become Christian. We don't know the exact thing. So thanks for the um, question. Very enjoyable. In, uh, so he instructed many, so as I said, he taught people to fly and things like that. We spoke about all that last week, last month. By all the pagans, he was revered and glorified as a chief priest and most wise servant of the vile gods. He greatly persecuted the Christian faith. Satanists hate Christianity. And as we know, those uh, heavy metal groups and this and that, which a lot of them, they admit that they're Satanists, like their continual mockery is to do with Christ within their songs. Um, and he didn't, and, the, and, the, and Saint Cyprian then as a sorcerer, he didn't want people to come 
to the Christian faith and they would do anything they can to stop the person to come. Now, why does God allow that? Go back to your question. Why does then, what would God allow that to happen? Wouldn't he allow, wouldn't it be like a red carpet opened so that the people can come to Christianity in an easy way? Those people who come to Christianity in an easy way also leave Christianity in an easy, in a, in a easy way. The way to Christianity is through difficulty, through struggles to prove ourselves. People get married and they go, I love you. And I will be with you forever and all these um, words. But what really proves love is when in times of trial, if your wife or husband has problems, it can go into a mental illness, for example, they can have a, a really bad disease, then your words will be real if then you stick with the person. But if you run away because it's too uncomfortable for you, then that words aren't true. So it's the same. I believe in Christ. I love Christ. That will be shown in trials. That's the test. The test is in our trials, in our sufferings, we show whether we do love Christ. When we see the demons fighting us to try and pull us away, those who struggle strong, uh, strong uh, those who struggle a lot, they will notice in their spiritual life that there is a warfare. And the warfare is to pull that person away from the church. And when you love the church, when you love God, when you want to be saved, you're going to say, like St. Paul said, I'm, nothing's going to stop me of being with Christ. So as a result of that, you're going to say, I'm going to fight. How do I fight these, the, the enemy? Prayer, fasting, liturgical life, communion, confession, etc., etc. So we use the church, because that's what helps us, to keep us with Christ. So that is the way. That's why when people go, um, oh, I came to the church and all of a sudden there's all these problems and I feel these temptations and that's no good. But that is good because by fighting with those, with, with that temptation, that's how you become Christian. Like those American idols and Australian idols. Some of you um, obviously watch it, some of you don't. But anyway, it's just interesting. Those people that go on those, on those shows how much they endure mockery because sometimes they, you know, they really get put down in front of the whole of Australia or in America if it's an American Idol and they, they, they listen to advice, they suffer quite a lot actually because what do they want? They want to be at the opera house for example. They want it, that's their business. I'm not here to judge them. What I'm here today say is how much they want it and they will go through, um, as I said, if, you, if, if you've watched it, you'll see they're mocked. Oh, that was, uh, the judges might say, oh, that was really off. That stunk. That's horrible. You look off. You look fat. You look this. You look that. And they just sit there and they take it because they want that. So if they are doing that for their goal of going to the opera house, which big deal, but let's just say, then how much more we as Christians will endure sufferings and mockery or whatever else we go through to attain what? Not the opera house, to attain the heavenly kingdom. So we want to be saved, then we will endure and we will fight. We don't want to be saved, then as soon as the temptations come, we throw down and say, I'm, I'm going back to my... Uh, I'm going back to the worldly life, I'm going back to the demons or whatever else. 
So he, he reviled and mocked Christ, not regarding him as God, since he had some come to believe that he himself was more powerful. Some people say, well, if they know that Christ is God, why do they do it? Some people don't actually know. Some of these people that are in these satanic places and, or practice these things, they don't really know who Christ is because in their deluded mind, they actually believe that it's just a myth or it's just a person or a prophet or whatever, but they don't actually believe that he's Christ. The demons do. They know. But the demons do not reveal that really above him is Christ. That's not exposed. And that's why one of their practices is, as you'll read in the book when you get it, it's when you join these groups, you are forbidden to go to Christian churches and things. They don't want you to hear the gospel. These people do not read gospels. These people do not at all know much about Christianity at all. St. Kiprian really did not know anything. Um, he just believed that he was a god, or he was fantastic, or that the devil was the most powerful. Many turned to him in their needs, and, and he helped them by means of demonic power, which he was, which he was filled with. Um, with some, he, he cooperated in their adulteries. So those who wanted to fall with others, they go to that, and that's what happens now. With others in anger, enmity, jealousy, revenge, etc. Through his sorcery, his fame spread and he gained much wealth. That's another reason why people actually uh, join these type of spirits and these evil things, or they go to sorcerers, or they become Satanists. Uh, a lot of it is power, money. And it's, as I said, even uh, Hitler, for example, who supposedly wasn't favourable towards the church, but yet he would frequently visit his uh, gypsy astrologers. And the uh, people in the communist revolution, a lot of them who said that the religion is a sickness, they themselves were Satanists, which they used to, for their uh, ability to be able to have that power, that confidence, etc. So already he was, he was entirely in the depths of hell and in the jaws of the devil he was a son of hell, a partaker of the demonic inheritance and of their internal perdition. But the Lord who does not desire the death of a sinner in his unedible goodness and his mercy, which is not conquered by the sins of men, designed to seek out this lost man. So God, even though he saw that he was evil, like all of us, some of us before we came to the church, God is trying to bring everyone to himself, even the most evil. Now, no one, I mean, this man was evil, possessed person. I mean, you just read the whole, we, we read the list of the things that he did, and he killed many. And yet, God was there, behind the scenes, one can say, waiting for the opportunity to try and bring him. None of us will have an excuse on the last day. On the judgment, none of us will have the excuse that we didn't know or this or that because God, in his ways, tries to help everyone come to him. And how did he do that? He did this 
through the Virgin Justina. This is the way now that Cyprian, the magician, is going to come to Christ once he encounters this young girl. Before we go on with that, I would like to um, ask, is there any questions so far? Questions are good, so that question was good, yes. When you say not equal, you mean? For example, this person is saying he's not particularly equal and God told him. But whereas someone who has had a really bad upbringing and then he himself what chance that do they have? That's a good question too, and I've often pondered that. But we have to be careful not to go too much, but because sometimes we can start trying to work out the depths of God's wisdom. But from what I have understood from the reading and from the church's teaching, the question is, this man who was so evil and did so bad, later on we know, those, those who know, he will come to Christ and become a great saint. And Anya, is it? has said, her question is, well, how about a poor, uh, abused teenage child who committed suicide, uh, committed suicide, and therefore, as the church teaches, there's no salvation? The church does not teach that there's no salvation for all suicides. The church teaches that if the person is mentally ill, um, then they can still be, there's a possibility they can still be saved depending on their souls. I believe that a person who's been abused from young, and some of them are really badly abused, and you're correct, they are mentally ill. They cannot be given the same judgment as someone who took their life because their business didn't go well or because they got caught uh, by their wives because they were committing adultery or something like that. That's a different thing or because they're hopeless or because they can't endure temptations like some have done. That's different. The secret, not necessarily a secret, but, I, but, I, but this, the, 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 um, the thing behind your question is as follows. God even knows how the person would go if the person did not, you know how, say a person doesn't come to Christianity properly, like orthodoxy, and that person dies. God knows that in the, in the, because he's all knowing, in, if he was in better circumstances, he knows which way that person's soul would be inclined. We will be surprised at the last judgment. Exactly. Who we thought would go to heaven, not go to heaven, and who we thought had nothing to do with heaven will go to heaven. Just like aborted children. There's all different teachings on that. But in general, the consensus is that these children are like martyrs. They weren't baptised, but they were baptised in their own blood because they became victims from their own parents or parent. So these children that you are, you are uh, uh, saying with pain, 
it I agree because it, 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 I think about that all the time. These people have been abused, sexually abused, for example, from young. People that have been led into prostitution, for example, from very young children, you know, like in some of those Asian countries, isn't it? Only God knows what's in that person's soul and God knows also how that person would have been if, even if Christ was offered to them. He knows all that. And we can in no way understand how the judgment will take place. We look at it as like a court. Did you do this? Did you do that? Off you go. You go to hell. You go to heaven. You do this. That's not how it works. Uh, in, the, in God's court, in the last judgment, his ways are just so much that we cannot comprehend it. And it will be fair. But not only will it be fair, it will be, uh, if I can't even say it, infinitely fair. There's no way that someone would be condemned unfairly. Never, ever, ever. But I, as a human, do not know, and the church also is limited, even though there are some sparks of some truths about those, about those matters, of God's providence, of how, he'll be, how he's, how he's going to judge everyone. But in general, we must never, ever, ever say, we must never, never, never say that God's judgment will be unfair. It will never be unfair. And those children and all those people, the ones that were brought up, for example, in prostitute, like they were given heroin, some of them, from eight, nine years old, um, they cannot be judged in the same way. The ones who will be judged the most are the Orthodox Christians because we know the truth and we are given the fathers, the, 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 the sacraments of the church, the mysteries of the church, and we will give word more. Those other people... Uh, God will, is in his love, is trying to bring them, and he's got his, um, his ways. Does that help you at all? Any other questions? Okay, so they lived at the time where St. Cyprian lived, a certain, in Antioch, a certain maiden of high birth and great beauty whose name was Justina. She came from pagan parents, her father being a priest of the idols, so he was, she came from a religious family, but a pagan religious family. Therefore, Eustina was sunk in, in the darkness of idolatry. She believed in that rocks and stuns and plants or whatever it was, are gods. That's what she believed. That's how she was brought up. But God, again, which goes back to your question, that searches out the hearts and reins within the person, saw that they were well-intentioned people, that her and her parents were well-intentioned, what I say is a good disposition, and helped them to come to knowledge of him in the following manner. That doesn't mean that someone who does not come to the Orthodox Church cannot be saved. I'm not saying that. As I said, each person, you know, for example, there's two examples which really is very important. In a monastery, two people died. It was a lay person, a person who wasn't just a lay person like yourselves, wasn't a priest, wasn't a monk, just was a lay person. He died. And then there's a schema monk, and he died and they put them into the, in, 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 in the graves. So one was a schema monk, holy type of life. Schema is the highest form of monasticism. And the other person was a lay person. And as is the practicing, I think this is an example from Greece probably, after three years, they unbury them and uh, put them into boxes and put them into their, 
in places which they've got over there, like places dedicated for these, for the bones of the dead. They don't leave them in the ground like we do. Over there, they take them out, uh, in the villages especially, after three years, four years, something like that. And um, even though, by the way, they are finding more and more that when they do undig the bodies, that they find that they haven't decomposed, uh, they have to rebury them again. While before, people used to decompose, usually after a few years, unless they're a saint. Some, I'm not, I mean, uh, uh, they've got a special gift of their body staying incorrupt. That does happen. Not all saints stay incorrupt. Saint John Maximovich, Saint Denisov Zakintos, Saint Spiridon, all these saints, they're incorrupt. Saint Spiridon is a fantastic example. Um, his face is black from all the oil lamps and things like that. But when you lift up his. Um, clothes, leg and all that, it's actually pink, it's actually like, uh, st and he's still warm, he's warm. Um, but some um, fathers of, in Greece have actually said that the reason for a lot of this, these bodies not decomposing is sin. Some say it's the preservatives, that because they're eating preservatives, but I just always ask the question, if it's preservatives, then why that person on that grave who's had the same amount of preservatives as that person, why well, that person decomposed and that person didn't decompose, so that's a bit of a, a question. But anyway, so these two were buried. When it came time to unbury them, to take their bones and put them into those little special chapels that they've got dedicated, those special rooms, rooms for the bones, they found that the lay person had the schema on him and that the schema monk had the lay clothes on him. Now, the layperson was not tonsured. Tonsured is a special service. It can take about an hour and a half. Very long service of when a person becomes a schema monk or schema nun. It's a very, very big service. They call it like a second baptism. But how can that be, which goes again back to your question there, that how can it be that that person, that was a, a little spark of, of what's going to happen in the last judgment? Whereby we think that that person was a skimmer monk. God allowed that to happen to say, yes, he was a skimmer monk. Yes, he was supposed, he's, you know, supposed to be holy because he was a monk and he's been in the monastery. But yet, the lay person was better than him. And that's why God allowed that swap to occur. That's one example. And there's one more. But that's one example there of... Um, There was, a per there was a person who wanted to become baptised and he didn't get a chance to go to the priest to be baptised because he was caught back in the days when they were being persecuted and he was um, taken to the arena to be tortured and killed and he was upset because he, didn't, he wasn't baptised and then again a, a spark of reality, just a little bit there showing how God's ways are not the way we think. God allowed a rain to occur, and that became for him a baptism. Even though we say, oh, baptism is a full immersion and only Catholic sprinkle, which is true, and that's not canonical, we, baptism is immersion, 
But yet this example from the lives of the saints, this example from the Yerondikor, from the holy writings of the fathers, says that God allowed the rain to occur so that he can be baptised as he desired. So we do not know, that's just little clues. We don't have much of those examples, but they're there. They're there for us to, to tell us what we think is not necessarily correct and what we don't think may be what happens. You know, so that's two examples. So St. Justina's parents and herself, God felt, had a good disposition. There was something good about them, even though they were worshipping pagans. So we've got to be careful not to judge and go, those people are going to go to hell because they go to that place, which is bad, or they go there, or that person frequents bad places and falls into sins and this and that. And we go, oh, they're going to go to hell. We don't know. We know it's a wrong practice, but we don't know what's going to happen because we don't know what God's going to allow for that person to bring him to. We don't know anything. So, once sitting at the window of her house, this maiden who had already reached womanhood by chance heard the words of salvation at the mouth of a deacon who was passing by. So, as happened to a lot of pagan Christians, it still happens now to a lot of people, they might hear, they might go to a wedding, to an Orthodox wedding, they hear something, or they might hear someone talk about religion, or they might see something even on TV, which goes back to your question, that even from something that is not necessarily good, that you know people can see something and go, oh, they might uh, see a movie which is not even a good movie, it might be The Exorcist or something, which is um, not good for Orthodox to see, but people are not everyone's Orthodox. They might see it and from that become interested. So by seeing something which isn't really proper can come out and, and become interested. So Saint uh, Justina heard this deacon speaking and this, and he spoke of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ becoming man. That's very important because that's the central teaching of the church, that God became man. The Jews do not believe that Christ is the Messiah. That is, that God become man. And the Muslims do not believe in the Christian faith that God became man. They believe that Muhammad, a man, was the last prophet enlightened and he gave the truth. But they reject both of those religions who are monotheists. If they believe in one God, they don't believe in, they're not polytheists, they believe in many gods. They believe in one God, like Allah, which is, means the God, one God. They, they, um, they say, uh, this is what separates us from them. We believe that Christ is God incarnate. That is, that, he, that God became man through Christ. And she heard all that, and about the Most Holy Mother of God, and how Christ performed miracles, and how he suffered, and how he rose from the dead, and how he ascended into the heavens, and how he sat at the right hand of God the Father, and how he reigns eternally, and how he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead, etc. She heard all that, and that sparked up in her. And you'd be surprised, a lot of people, when they hear things, even amongst you today, some of you hear, will hear something, and it will do something in your, in your um, hearts. And that can be a person's uh, start to something different. God works in different ways. All, all we do as priests is throw seeds. That's all I'm doing. What happens to those seeds? I don't know. God only knows. I'm just doing my, my duty, hoping that those seeds that I'm throwing tonight grab, 
uh, fall onto good soil, but that's it. I throw the seeds, God is the one that gives the growth. Just like a farmer, he throws the seeds, whether it grows or not, it's up to God. Whether there's rain, light, etc., water, the soil, it's not up to him fully. As we know from the farms in, in those drought areas, they're not coming about it. There's that, and that's why a lot of them have turned even to, to, to God in a praying and things like that because that's it. All their scientists and all their great knowledge that they've got, they cannot make the rain fall unless God wants the rain to fall. And, um, and it fell on good soil, as I said. The deacon's words fell on good soil in the heart of Eustina and began quickly to bring forth fruit, uprooting her the thorns of unbelief. Eustina wished to be instructed in the faith by this deacon better and more completely. She wanted to meet the deacon, but she was modest. Now this, this thing is very important. Even though she was a pagan, she had modesty. She, didn't, she couldn't go up to a man and speak to him. She found that unbecoming. So even though she wasn't, um, let's just say, she just began to come into the church, a lot of times the virtues that Christians have can also exist in people that aren't even orthodox, people that aren't even Christians. Obedience, meekness, some type of humility, and one of them is modesty. Modesty amongst women, but so you won't think I'm sexist, I'll come to the modesty among other people. There's modesty everywhere. As a teacher, uh, when you teach Asian children, ones from Asia, Vietnam, etc., they don't look at the teacher in the eyes. They're modest. They look down. But the more the child becomes uh, off, one can say, they look people in the eye, they dare you, they can even spit in your face. But the Vietnamese, a lot of them who aren't even Christians, yet they have an inbuilt modesty. And women, for example, should also have modesty. But also sons, males, because it's not just a woman's virtue, modesty is for everyone. To have modesty for their fathers, to be respecting of their fathers. Mm. But today, you know, the son can look at the father in the eye and say, I dare you. So this w pagan girl had the modesty that should exist in all different forms. Women towards men, even men towards women, towards your father, towards your mother. Your, the wife towards her f husband, husband towards her thing, you know, people dressing inappropriately, girls dressing in an inappropriate way in front of their fathers and brothers and the opposite and mothers wearing inappropriate clothes in front of their sons and the whole thing is a mess. There's a loss of modesty. Loss of modesty means a loss of all our orthodoxy, our Christian faith. And if we see that even those who aren't even Christian have modesty, then how much are we going to give word? Modesty is very, very important. And she had that modesty. So what did she do? She decided to go to, one of the, to a church of the Christians secretly and she stood there so she can hear the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit came into her heart and she became to believe in Christ. She brought her parents to the Christian faith 
and together they were baptised by the bishop of that city and given Holy Communion. Her father, that he was so much, he became a Christian, he really excelled, repented of being a pagan priest, that the bishop even made him, after um, some time, a, um, a, a priest, an orthodox priest. And then, after a short time, both the mother and the father passed away. So that is um, an example of people who were in darkness who came to the faith. Back to your question, uh, what's your name? Nick. Nicholas. Back to your question. What do we say about those people who are visited by Christian sectarians or Christian uh, other religions in areas where there's no orthodoxy, they come and preach Christ, and these people believe in Christ. Does that mean that when they are preached Christ, which is not um, fully in the correct way, because they haven't got the orthodoxy behind it, does that mean that their faith, they're following the commandments to the best of their ability from the Bible, does that mean it's all for waste? And the answer to that is that they will be judged according to what they know, and we will be judged according to what we know. And one can say, well, I don't want to know much, because that way I'll be judged less. By the, sorry? They'll be, uh, they'll be judged according to their conscience, they'll be judged according to their deeds, they'll be judged according to the knowledge, etc. We don't know. Um, it's true that some areas have never, ever had orthodox people present. And some areas that never even had any Christians at all come. Some of them have never even seen the, like some of the, let's just say, how about the Indians that were living before the Christians came to America? You know, are they all going to be lost, this and that? We don't know. None of our business. We cannot say, however, that because they didn't have Christ, that that means they're going to be, um, gonna have, they're going to go to hell. That's not our business. What our business is, as Saint, the saint says, we being orthodox and know, we better start practicing our orthodox faith and not shut our eyes and our ears and say, oh, the less I know, the less I'm going to give judgment. Because there is also, Christ pronounced and said, he who knew much will be will given a lot of stripes, meaning they will be punished a lot. And he who doesn't, doesn't know much will be still punished, depending on the person's how much knowledge, because they didn't seek, because it's all there. More questions? The Hillsong and all that, all those people that, you know, thousands of them go, to me it shows that people are looking for something. And unfortunately, the Orthodox churches are not doing much work. And, I mean, how many churches are there here in Sydney which do full English services, for example? We hear excuses, oh, there's no choirs and there's no, I mean, I went to the monastery at Kentland, uh, where there's not much because of the nuns, some of them are old, some of them don't know how to sing, and yet the, the abbess there and the, and the, the nuns, 
They really love the they love they love to do the liturgy. They want to do the liturgy often. And um, if it's not a Sunday, that sometimes Sundays other people come, so it helps them with the choir. So the abbess there, what she does, because she loves the liturgy, is that she chants the liturgy on her own, the priest and just her, and she chants the whole liturgy on her own. In Greece, the priest used to go with his bag, with his communion bread and everything, he used to go to say some what's called paraclesia, which are like chapels in the mountains, take one chanter and off they go. You don't have to have a big, beautiful choir, which a lot of times you lose the essence of spirituality. So people say there's an excuse, oh, we don't open up missionary churches or that because we haven't got choir. That's lies. Um, it's just slackness. The Orthodox will give word because there are people that are interested. In America, where they've got their act together, we see, like the Orthodox Church of America over there, the OCA, they've got bishops, priests and that, which are American. They not, have nothing to do with Russian or Greek. They are American and full of them. How many do we have here? Hardly anything. It's slack. Australia is slack. And I'm not the only one that says it because a lot of people that have come from Serbia and Greece, they say, what's wrong with that country? It's dead here about this country. Very, very dead country. Should have been more people than this. I mean, still a good number of people, but if there was interest, it should be more. There is a lot of secular uh, people in, uh, are, are in, submerged in the what's called secularism. Uh, people are not interested in spiritual life, uh, which is not very good. And therefore, back to your question on the Pentecost, all those people, those things are saying, Father, Father Seraphim Rose says, a lot of their supposed miracles that they do and all that, a lot of it is not from God. But there are a lot of souls in those people, even those who even perform the miracles, that are doing that out of ignorance. They don't know. They believe it. Um, they'll be judged according to their conscience of how much they were, they, something was telling them, hey, this, this might not be right. I don't know what their conscience is. Only God knows their conscience. And there's a lot of people there that go there with their families that are looking for spirituality. Therefore, it's not for me to judge that um, some leave, uh, some use that as a stepping stone and go to other religions. They might go to formal religions. Others go even to Hindu religions and other religions. Like it's all, it's all a bit of a, a mess. But God, all I know is that God is behind all those people and he's trying to bring all of them to salvation. How that salvation takes place, I don't know. Whether they will come fully to the church or whether something else will happen and in God's providence he will save them, I don't know. But it does show that there is, a, a slowly so, there is a more of an interest in orthodox, in um, spirituality. People are a bit sick and tired of the secular life. But unfortunately, the church is not in gear. They've still got this thing about Russian or Greece, Greek or Serbians, Serbian stuff and all that. And they just say, oh, no, you know, we've got to make sure that we feed the, you know, the people that, know, that hear or don't want to hear it in Slavonic or Greek which most of them don't, even priests themselves, a lot of them do not even understand what they, what they themselves are saying. Saint uh, Father Justin Popovic, a Serbian father, who died in 1980, somewhere around 81, 82, something like that, he actually, in the Serbian church, it still happens in some places, they, they used to do the liturgy in Slavonic. But people came out of communism and they, weren't, they didn't learn Slavonic anymore. And a lot of people just didn't 
understand at all Slavonic. So instead of saying Paki Paki and all that type of stuff, he changed it to modern Serbian. And that brought more people to, to, to church. And a lot of young people came and then the monastery started becoming full. There's been, a, been a, big, a big revival in Serbia, which even though Serbia went through that horrible communism, but a big revival has occurred where people are becoming nuns and monks and people coming to the church, etc. He was enlightened. He was holy. He knew what's important. What did St. Paul say? I'd rather speak two or three words of understanding as long as people uh, come to the church and are safe rather than say all these words and no one understands anything. So this place could be more ready, Australia, but there has to be more work done in the language of the people. And that's why in the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, he enlightened them, not just in each person's language, that's really interesting, but even when as far as the dialect, the dialect, to make sure that when that apostle preaches to some people, that even the dialect was perfect so that that person can understand. So I'm speaking to you, for example, in English. Uh, not perfect English, but I try. So it is um, important to preach, to do the services in the language of the people. That's, um, and if we did that, I think we would be able to get people who are looking for the truth. There are people with good souls that are looking for the truth and they're not finding it. And that goes back again to your question, maybe to yours as well, which is, well, does that mean that they're going to be condemned? Well, if they weren't given the opportunity properly, why is that, are they going to be judged entirely on that? The church will be judged, the, 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 the pastors or the, or the bishops will be judged for not doing the work of what they're meant to do. And God, he'll try and bring those people, I don't know how, he knows how, not our business. But we try. Yes. That's all right. Japan, when, when St. Nicholas went from yeah. Russia, I think they, he, he converted the liturgy, the, the liturgy in modern Japanese, and the one, St. Saint, Vinyamin, Saint, um, which is St. Innocent of Moscow, when he went to Alaska, he converted the liturgy, the Gospels, in, the modern, in their language, which is the Alaskan, whatever language it was. Korea, I think they do that in the, obviously in Korean. In Greece, there is some movement whereby people, uh, some priests are saying we should bring it back to modern Greek, and then other people are saying no, 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 this is not traditional, this is bad, and we're going to lose orthodoxy. So meanwhile, they keep on going on, saying the services in a language which was used many, many years ago, and the majority of them don't understand. Some people say that's you're going to lose tradition. Some people are going to condemn and say, oh, that's not good, that's a modernism. But I look at the example of St. Eustimovich, it's not my example. I can have my personal opinion, I like to say it, but in the example of St. Eustimovich, a great father of the Orthodox Church, who, as I said, died in the 1980s, a confessor, a dogmatic theologian, a brilliant person, he changed the services into modern Serbian. And as a result of that, 
Serbia is going through a very big revival such that, as I said, there's monasteries, young people sprouting up everywhere, people going to church, etc. Now, that is important. I don't know much other countries. Maybe in Africa they do it in their language. But in traditional like Russia, I don't think so. Here in Australia, there's not much of it. Also, you mentioned Africa. Where they jump, where they move around a lot. I'm not. Um, if someone asks me a question about what I'm doing and why I do it, I'll I'll answer them according to my knowledge, to my like they might say, well, why do you, why do you say this and this to the people? Why do you do it in that way? And I'll answer them and say, well, from my experience, I'm Australian born. I believe that's the way it's been done, that's what I've got, that's what I've learned, that's how I see people respond. I'm going from my experience. I'm not in Africa and therefore uh, it would be hard for me to understand I could not accept, for example, I'm not judging them, I could not accept obviously in our churches for the liturgies to occur where everyone's jumping around. Now, Father Themi, I think I heard that he did say that uh, in Africa, it's part of their way of worship, their culture, the whole thing. And um, I don't know exactly how they do it. They might do it in a respectful way, but they still, they still are you know, moving around. And um, the church adapts the culture of the people wherever it goes. Um, so, well, can I just say, Mm -hmm. And they have pews in their church, but in fact they stand up for longer than what some of our congregation do for them. And uh, their communion, obviously, it's, if you ever it's not the same as Russian Orthodox. But the only time that they do move is when they have a sort of little break where the whole congregation sings hymns. So, and they accompany them with tambourines, with, with little jiggly things, and drums. And that's the only time that you find people that will actually move a little bit. And in fact, they move much, much less than what our children do in our church. Um, the rest of the service is very, very respectful. They, you know, they don't have a fancy gospel. They wrap their gospel in, in a cloth. But um, I found that it was a very um, religious, religious service. I think in answer to addition to what you're saying, what Terry at the back is saying, is that when Orthodox missionaries go to countries, they adapt as much as they can the culture. For example, when the Greek Orthodox went to Serbia, they, they had these practices of um, having one pagan god which takes care of their whole family. And the Orthodox would find that really hard to break that... Um, practice because they really believed in it just like the Africans believe in certain things.
Africans believe that they have to have special things to protect them from voodoo and all these protecting things. So what the church does is uses what they believe, their mentality, and tries to spiritualise it, to make it into an orthodox teaching. So, for example, in Serbia, they said, yes, yes, you're going to have your, your thing that will protect you and be for your family. They go, but it's going to be a saint. And then they changed that to the Slava, and that's how the Serbians have what's called their Slava. Uh, so they used that type of thing. They had another practice where they used to burn bushes, on, I mean, and then I don't know what exactly it is, but the, um, the, the, the missionaries again said, yes, we will burn the bushes, and the bushes mean something. I don't, sorry, I don't understand properly what it is, but they, they, they said to them, we'll, we'll do that. So they tried, just like in um, Ireland. I think they had some practices there that were funny, and then the Orthodox took those practices and made them into Orthodox practices, the same as in Africa. If they are doing that and they're bringing souls, I can't judge. I'm not there. You know, in Australia, in, um, in the Greek churches, the Orthodox churches, the Russian churches, we, and in, in a Western society, it fits in because we are used to standing still, in a sense, and worshipping in that way. It's, it's a tradition. As for the others, how they do it, uh, Father Fermi, for example, he's there, he's dealing with them, he knows everything, and why I think I've, I even read that Father Cosmas Grigoriatis, I think he, he mentions, or Father Meletos, I can't remember exactly, they also, uh, yeah, that's right, and they all, they all said that um, that's their way, and that he's a great father, he's a missionary person, because that's their way, so they try and spiritualise it to the best of that, well, what they can, because we're trying to bring souls to the church. Okay, one more question and then we're finished. That's it. Um, thanks for your um, participation. I like the questions because sometimes you bring up things that I don't remember at the time. I'm not a ecumenical council. An ecumenical councils are enlightened fully by uh, God. I try my um, best. And we will continue, God willing, in the next month with this example of the Mata Justina and how God used her and the youth who wanted to, her to marry him because that youth went to Kiprion and said, I want you to make her to love me and this and this and that, which unfortunately those things do occur now. And uh, through that, Kipri, St. Kiprion becomes, uh, he repents of his evil way. And that example is so fantastic for us, wonderful example in that whatever we've done, God forgives. So if God can forgive that man who was possessed, such an evil person, how much then can God forgive all of us? It doesn't matter what we've done, as long as we are repentant and we want to be saved, then God will forgive us. So we never, never listen to people or demons or whatever who come along and say there's no salvation. Your sin is so great. I remember once this woman, I actually saw it, which I was shocked. I was a lay person. And this woman was saying, um, God forgives every sin, everything, except for homosexuality. They will never be forgiven. And there was a person who had indulged in that type of way of life, but had repented and was trying to come to the church. All of a sudden, this person heard this mad woman say that. And this woman was, a, was um, 
I don't know, I think she had some position in the church, I think some, well, she was very religious. So people would say, oh, she's a very religious woman. That person could have went away and jumped off a cliff or something like that. And this is very, very, we've got to be very, very careful when we try to speak on religious matters and things like that. We don't say wrong things. That, I tremble. You know, I don't come here and say, I'm going to speak and it's going to be easy. I get uh, anxiety a lot of times. I get scared because I say, what happens if I say something wrong which can make a person um, hopeless or, you know, make a person go off track? There's a lot of things. We've got to be very, very careful. Okay, so uh, Godwin, as I said, we're going to continue on with this. I think this next part will be very, very nice. Um, you will see the things that uh, St. Kiprian did to try and convert this woman to love the, this guy that um, Aglias, I think his name was, and I think you will find that interesting, but also we will learn, because when we read the lives of saints, we learn quite a lot. Now, you are, what we'll do is, oh, it's open now, so this is a, there's a, there's pamphlets here, if you didn't come last time, you're welcome to take one of each, there's three, most of you already taken them, but today's is um, this book here, which I read it, I had, I had this book for a while, and because I, I was doing this talk, I got better read a bit more, just in case I miss things, which is obvious that that happens. And as I was reading, I go, oh, this is, a, this is a, a, a fantastic book. And I got uh, the desire to bring up Greece, because this is translated from a Greek book, this fellow Archimandrite, Vasilius Bakuyanis, whatever his name is there, he actually um, writes really nice, simple books. And this book is uh, excellent. It actually goes through astrology, black magic, white magic, dreams. It goes through Satanism, and it goes through how we fight magic, um, who is afflicted by magic, exorcisms, all those type of things. It's actually a really, really book, a really, really good book. So you're welcome. One per family, because I want to give out to other people as well. I want to send one to each priest, um, because um, when you hear pre when you when you hear an Orthodox priest say that it's good for children to read to read Harry Potter, because it's such because you learn good and evil. That is um, really stupid. I mean, yeah, maybe some person could have read Harry Potter and actually learn, oh, there's good, there's evil, didn't even know, and come up. Well, why do Orthodox people have to read Harry Potter? What, don't we have the, the Bible? That's just, as, that's just as ridiculous as the example where it says, um, uh, a thief went to a monastery to, to steal, but he pretended he was a monk. So he walked into the monastery, and the nuns saw him and thought he was a holy father. So they went a bit funny and then they started to um, run around him and go oh holy father holy father because you know some people don't really know who anyone is and they just go crazy and start thinking everyone's holy so these nuns they went there and in their simplicity in their in their simple faith they actually greeted him as if he was a monk and a holy person and they took care of him they got a, a bowl as his customary i think in those um middle east countries they washed his feet and then one of the nuns who was sick had a thought and the thought was, this man is so holy, I'm going to drink the water of his feet. That's, that's what she thought. That was her, um, 
She didn't care about the tinea. She didn't care about all those type of things. She was just interested in the water. So in, with, of her, in her faith, she went and got the water and she drank it and she got better. And she actually got better. And then the example is her faith was so strong that she got better. I don't think any of you would do that. The example of the, the monk who went into a brothel to, con to convert the, the prostitutes. And he did. There was, a, there was some that he actually um, converted. They actually repented. Does that mean I'm going to go down to the cross and you see, these are the things we say, these are what St. Ignatius Branchinov says. He says, these are exceptions. These are special exceptions. They're not a rule. It's not a rule. These are exceptions that God allows certain things. That nun, her faith was so great, it was trying to show that her faith was strong. She drank the water and she got better. But it doesn't mean that we're going to go and drink each other's water from, the, from when we wash our feet. See? So it's the same with the Harry Potter. Yes, maybe some people changed. Maybe some people came to Christianity from Harry Potter. But we don't say that there's nothing wrong with it. We don't say that it's good for children and people to read because you learn about evil and good. Because when you read this book, and after you've heard these talks, you can see that this, the topic that we're, talking, that we're speaking about here is serious and dangerous and really, really bad. It's not a, a joke and it's not something that is a, a this is the, a matter of salvation. And Harry, the Harry Potter phenomena is actually, has opened the doors up as the occultists themselves say. They say that ever since Harry Potter, we've had so much more business in uh, the mediums say it, the fortune tellers, the astrologers, the Satanists, everyone, they all say, in, he has actually, those movies, those books have opened up the doors and there's so many people that are interested in it. Now how that Orthodox priest is saying that that's good is beyond me or because one exception or two exceptions or ten or twenty or whatever. It's not a rule. Through the prayer of the Holy Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy, save us. Amen.